This episode is sponsored by EOP Media. EOP Media exists to advance big ideas by leveraging comprehensive marketing strategies that eliminate cycles of reactive change and redundant solutions. That is why we say EOP Media is a new type of agency for the next economy. We will achieve this mission by advancing four big ideas. Transforming the marketing profession, evolving marketing for the new economy, revolutionizing the startup ecosystem, and enabling individual agency of identity and data. If your organization is wrestling with the same ideas, or if you're interested in learning more about our ideas for the new economy, please get in touch with us at eopmedia.com. Welcome to the Tech Aunties Podcast, where we're bringing you industry context and vision from myself, Angelia McFarlane, and Gina Rosenthal. On each podcast, we will share our marketing and technology industry experiences along with the tea. Listen to us as we explain the past so you can have context to understand and create your own version of the future. So let's get into it. So, Gina. Hey. <laughs> another episode on the on the marketing side, but this is cool because Melinda is marketing and tech. Oh, good. I, we've, we've been really excited to have this conversation, Melinda. I told Gina, I was like, Gina, you're going to like this one because Melinda can talk on both sides. So... <laughs> So um, thanks for letting me in the room. (laughs) You are very welcome. So Melinda, can you just start out the conversation by giving the people they've heard your bio, but just give them a brief introduction of who you are and kind of what you're working on now? Sure. I'm Melinda Byerly. I'm the founder and CEO of Fiddlehead Marketing, LLC. Uh, We are an, I think, almost 10-year-old marketing consultancy. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. And we've been around, we've been remote uh, only since the beginning, since long before the pandemic. And uh, I started my career actually as a theater person. Uh, I got my MBA in finance from Cornell and I started working in the tech industry almost more than 20 years ago. And so I, th- I feel like I'm an auntie too, at least an honorary. <laughs> awesome. Yes, you absolutely are. <laughs> we, we still have one original tech auntie who uh, who was on our who was on our show last season who actually was laying cable with EDS wow. and in in a skirt and hose and so, heels <laughs> yeah so so we we gave her the title of OTA <laughs> right it's like our aunties right the aunties have yes, aunties the and- aunties of the aunties <laughs> so i mean i'm old enough to remember when i moved to silicon valley from going to school in New York. And remember, I studied finance. So I went to interviews in hose and heels. And so when I got out here and nobody was wearing socks, I was like, oh, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> yes, they, they as, as the, as we call it, the left coast goes. 
<laughs> the, the, it, it starts on that coast and then it just kind of spreads across <laughs> across the country. But that was better a good one, though. Uh, that was <laughs> a better good one, though. Oh, was, uh. Yes, we are happy. We, we, we're happy. In us, Texas. In, us in Texas are happy about the no hose thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did a summer. I, when I was young, I worked in New York City. And yeah, yeah. Humidity and pantyhose are oh, no. not mm-hmm. go together. Not fun. <laughs> so, so we're happy to have you on, Melinda. We wanted having with the experience that you have on both sides, um, we wanted to have a discussion with you about ethics, uh, because my area that I'm exploring this season is responsibility. And I think there's a responsibility, an ethical responsibility that people have on the marketing side and on the tech side in this area that we're in. Um, and so that's what I wanted to explore. So I want to start, if you don't mind, by just we try to start with definitions because we want to make sure people understand where we're coming from. What's your definition for ethics? And if you want to give a marketing versus a technical one, if you think there's some slight differences or if you think there's just one, that's fine, too. Well, I'm I'm happy to do so. And in fact, um, I am the chair of the Committee for Privacy and Ethics for the Digital Analytics Association. Oh, cool. And I created the committee. And one of the first things we had to do was sit down and talk about this. Oh, wow. What do we mean by ethics? Because there is, a, and I think in some ways, <laughs> ethics is a bit like you'll know it when you see it. But <laughs> most definitely, what it is not is morals. They are two different things. Morals are held internally. Morals are things that are hard to legislate, right? We all have our our own set of morals that come from how we were raised or what we believe in, the sum of our life experiences. But then there's ethics, which I believe is something that we can share. It's an external, it can be a manifestation of our morals, but at the very least to me, it's a code that we agree to live by, that we decide this is what matters. This is what our priorities are. So that's sort of a definition I've settled on, which is that helps us as a group. For example, we have people with different backgrounds in different parts of the country. Some people in Europe believe privacy is a fundamental human right. That has yes. not typically been the stance of the United States <laughs> as a whole. That doesn't mean that that's wrong, but we do we do come from this problem from different perspectives. And so it's important to set aside, not set aside, but we can honor our morals, but understand that they are different from our ethics. Yes. And that is something that that's how I would frame that question. I, with your leadership in that area, um, what are you finding? How how difficult is it to come to a set of ethics that align across different organizations and people and societies? Because there's so many people at this point in time who are popping up with AI, data, technology organizations. And and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. But to some extent, I don't see a lot of collaboration uh, and I don't. So the, so there are. So it's like you pick one. You OK, I, I agree with this one. I don't agree with that one. What are, what difficulty what what difficulties are you experiencing as you drive ethics in data and A.I.? Well, I think, one, it depends on how diverse and I mean that in the broadest sense possible, your group of people is if. If we have a group of AI engineers, they're going to have one set of ethics. And if we had marketers, we're going to have another set of ethics. If we have people of color, we might have 
more dimensions. And so the more diverse the group is, the more challenging it will be, but the more rewarding it will be because the more voices that will be involved, the more perspectives and things to consider. That as American, I had never thought about privacy as a fundamental human right. It seems, but over time, I'm starting to see the value of that, if that makes sense. And so we yes. can, we learn, right? We, we, we can only do as well as we can for what we know. And so those people can inform that point of view. Do you mind, if you can, telling us what you think the ethical hot buttons are for engineers versus the ethical hot buttons for marketers? Um, and you mentioned diverse, ethnically diverse populations. Uh, and you, there may have been others that you would want to mention. Do you mind giving us kind of the differences that you see? Sure. I mean, on my own podcast, I've had... Um, women of color who specialize in AI talking about the bias in AI, particularly in healthcare. Um, you know, when you, even just to put it simply, even for the layperson, when you Google or when you ask uh, Stable Diffusion or or Midjourney to give you a picture of a doctor, it typically gives you a picture of a white man. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I mean, that's the most obvious example, but it goes on and on in terms of like bias towards pain, how pain is, you know, Serena Williams most famously, right? Mm -hmm. Not being treated for pain or for her issues in pregnancy. But it goes, so I do think it varies. I think this is my own opinion now. After 20 years of sitting in the Valley, engineers tend to talk to each other. For better or worse, marketers are often cut out of those conversations. Sometimes it's our own fault because we don't, we haven't taken the time or the effort to really understand. And sometimes we're just assumed to That's not. her point. That's Gina's point of view. Right. You are talking right down her lane. I'm sorry for interrupting. That's okay. Calling me out. Jeez, one. <laughs> we woke up and you chose violence today. <laughs> she did. She really did. But no, it's good. It's good. Okay, I'm sorry. But it's on both sides, right? It's on both sides. I mean, I, I think back to 20 years ago when Meg Whitman was running eBay and MBAs ran the show. And then... I remember this is a story I tell all the time. We used to call the engineers Oompa Loompas, not because we didn't respect them, but because we never saw them. The yeah. business people were like, where are they? Because they were so precious and so scarce. The leadership had them walled behind something called product management. And so there was very little conversation between those of us who were making business decisions and the people actually building the code. Yeah. Yes. That's not okay. <laughs> that's clearly wrong. But the other side, we've gone all the way to the other side now where the engineers are like, we know best, we can do it all. And we, and founders today are encouraged. You don't need a professional marketer, you can growth hack. Oh, you yeah. don't need a professional PR person, you can do this and that and the other. And so we've mm -hmm. gone the other way. And I tend to be a person that tends towards balance. This is, I talk about my theater degree for a reason, because when we sit in a room as theater people, the lighting designer is not more important than the costume designer. We are all, we all bring our expertise to the table. And that's the model I think is, is most effective. So I learn as much from my engineering counterparts and the, the engineers I work with tell me they learn as much from me because they don't know. Most engineers are not taught how cookies work they that's right. that's basic javascript it's three lines of javascript put on a website and after that they don't care there's nothing like there's nothing challenging or hard as an engineering problem until you actually convince an engineer to work with you on this and then they go oh my god it's so hard like <laughs> cookie data is extremely hard to understand yes. and so marketers are the people with the the most fuzzy most difficult most challenging form of data and yet we are the ones with the least qualifications usually to actually figure mm -hmm. out what to do with it. So it's a paradox and we need each other. Engineers need marketing. There's way too many examples of 
great products that have failed. And marketers need engineering, and I think we need each other. And I think like many things in the world, we've become divided from each other. Some of it's our own making. I mean, there are plenty of brand marketers that came out of the gate in Web 1.0 with 10-year lifetime values and sort of a brand spending mentality. They were slow to adopt you know, digital and sort of ROI-based marketing. So some of it's self-inflicted, but not all of it. And so I think, you know, the next gen, this next gen, my generation of marketers, I can argue I was one of the first sort of, you know, I called it productized acquisition. Um, one of the first people in marketing to say, hey, we're, we need to use data and this is how we can do it and so on. So I think the challenges are different. I think engineers tend to not think about the implications of what they want to build. Like any good, I just saw Oppenheimer a few weeks ago and I could not <laughs> mm-hmm. stop thinking about the applications towards AI. Mm-hmm. We're so busy building it. It's so exciting to be part of it that we don't stop and think, could we, should we, is this the right thing to do? You know, mm-hmm. and so we don't think about that. And then marketers, I mean, it depends on the person. You've got everything from the very high-minded, sort of very customer-driven folks to the, you know, hardcore ad tech. You can see how I feel about them. <laughs> you know, like you know, results at any cost type of marketers because of the, the 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 frame on the business. And in the center of this, I think this is my personal belief: the CEO owns this right now. One one of two things happen: if they're an engineer, they tend to think if I build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. All I need to do is hire a marketer. I've right. got a great thing. Just go sell it. That is not how any of this works. Mm-hmm. Or they are abdicating. I'm, what I see is they abdicate strategy and growth to the marketer. You figure out growth. Oh, wait a minute. We in marketing, our job is to support the business. So what is the business goal? Are we expanding in geography? Are we expanding in product? Are right. we expanding our demographics? That's a business decision. And if you delegate that to marketing, they don't have the power. They do not have the organizational power to drive uh, results because it's more than just where we spend. And isn't Long-winded that, answer. Isn't that convenient? Because then, yeah. because then the CEO can just go hire another marketer because that marketer sucked and didn't do their job. Yes. And, and as you convenient. know, <laughs> the tenure of a CEO is roughly two marketers. <laughs> Average yes. marketing tenure is 27 months. Average CEO tenure is cl- closing about four years. Mm-hmm. So basically, by the time as a CEO, you fire your second marketer, the board starts to go, huh, maybe it's not marketing's problem. Yeah, maybe it's you, guy, which is or usually girl. a guy. Well, it's a guy, yes. Well, yes. I will say this when we talk about the departure of, and I can't call her name right now, the CEO at CVS. Uh, when it comes to women, that's not the case. So it usually is a guy because a woman doesn't get four years to. It's rare. And, and I don't, I, based on what I've read, I don't follow healthcare. So this is really an uninformed all opinion. But you're going to say it anyway. I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. That's what tech aunties are for. <laughs> aunties get to have opinions. But I feel that her departure was based on a mismatch between what she thought the organization should be doing and what the board thought the organization should be doing. And typically men, I believe, get a little bit more grace for a little longer to say, my way is different. Give me some more time to make it happen. So all opinion. I don't know the woman. I don't follow healthcare. So please send all of your nasty letters and comments to Gina and not me. <laughs> and I'll send them to Devnall. Bring it on. <laughs> Devnall. 
<laughs> so did you have a, another comment from Melinda? Because I have, I have, a, she says so much. I have so many areas I want to delve, delve no, down go into. Ahead. Go ahead. So since we're talking about ethics and you talked about um, MarTech folks, I want to get your opinion on the ethics of what is happening today in in programmatic. So not I'm not going to say social media, Mm-mm. programmatic marketing, because I think it is an absolute travesty. The amount of money that is being spent on ineffective impressions. Um, so I, I'll be quiet. I'll let you talk about it. I've actively steered my career away from that type of marketing. I started, I was a general manager back in the time when there was such a thing in tech. And then when they said, you either have to be an engineer or you have to be in marketing. Well, you know, that was pretty obvious because I didn't have an engineering background. But when I went in, I always wanted to work with the user because I'm a business person first. I go back to the fact that I have an MBA in finance and our job is shareholder value. So in on the surface, it looks great. But as somebody who spent 20 years now digging into marketing data, like peeling away the layers and working with developers to put the code on the page so that I understand at a very deep level how this stuff is tracked, I can tell you that with it's Sorry, you may have to beep this out or say it's explicit. That's okay. It's, we have the beep button. Go right ahead, Melinda. It's 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 first of all, it is rife with click fraud. Yes. There is every incentive. And then there is bias. Program. There's just human bias, right? We all want to believe we're better or that we're good at our jobs. And it takes a lot of discipline to stop and say, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? I will give you just one example. Back, that's how you know I'm an auntie. Back in the early days at eBay, you know, we had um, explosive growth in the plasma TV categories. As I said, I'm dating myself. Plasma TV is <laughs> like selling them like crazy. And it, something didn't make sense. And we were peeling the onion, peeling the onion, discover it's fraud. It's fake. It's not, those are not real listings. And you have to have a humility about this and say, if the numbers, I, in fact, I teach it. I say, if your numbers are off the charts or they're, or they're tanking, you're neither as good as you think you are. And you're not as bad as you think you are. Mm-hmm. There's probably something going on. And this tracking breaks all the time. New code is rolled to the site. Tracking is broken all the time. And the first thing you got to do is do that. So there's one, a misunderstanding about how this stuff is tracked. People don't get it. People don't understand cookies, how, how, how difficult and yet how necessary they are. Number two, the CEOs want results. And what's happened is that the MarTech firms just own all the oxygen in the space. They have all yes. the money. And so they've convinced executives and I, frankly, even engineering executives that everything can be tracked. If you're already walking around the Spock fantasy and you think of yourself as the most objective you know, person on the planet, you, this is very tempting. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, marketing, I would love to reduce marketing to z- to a binary discussion. Did it work or did it not work? Because that would keep me, now I don't have to deal with the messy reality of human beings that I'm selling a problem, the solution to human beings who are not that, <laughs> whatever they are, they're not predictable. Yes. <laughs> and the third is this, and marketing has not helped. There is a dream marketers have of this idea of one-to-one marketing back to Peppers and Rogers, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's a dream, but it's not real. It can't happen. And and even setting aside the data privacy stuff, it's not technically feasible. Like, and you don't need it as a marketer. I don't need to know that Melinda Byerly in San Jose bought you know, blue shoes. I just need to know what the cohort does. And so we've we've sort of like barreled down this path towards one-to-one marketing when it doesn't, it's not even necessary. 
marketing is can work in cohorts. So it's complicated as always. Sorry. No, do not apologize. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I want you to to explain to people because I just recently figured out this click fraud thing. What is is click fraud? It 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 is it happens all the time. And and people who are paying all of these programmatic marketing companies to promote posts and ads and they're like, I got 5,000 clicks. And you're like, no, not really. Well, especially when you map it to GA. I mean, for years, I've been sitting there saying, why, you know, Google Analytics will say you got 100 clicks for Facebook, but Facebook will say it sent 1,000 clicks. <laughs> that cannot be yes. just explained by page loading. Like, yeah. <laughs> that is, something's off here. Something's rotten in the state of Denmark. And <laughs> and and this is the world we live in. And so I always have said GA, by the way, is the is the reli- most reliable source. I mean, because it's the closest to. But anyway, I, I digress. GA the, being I, Google Analytics, right? Yeah. Or the, yes, the web, the web analytics. Although right now. <laughs> yeah. Come yeah, on. I mean, there's something going it, on at Google. Well, sure. But let's back up a second just to answer <laughs> your question. I just read the other day. I mean, it's not no, it shock in, an, in a development that will shock no one. There are websites populated with AI crap that have programmatic ads on them. Yes. And so where are you spending your money? I mean, and, and this is it, it, it shocks nobody who's been in this space for a long time that, of course, this was going to happen because this is just affiliates gone wild. And I think it's hard for people to understand, unless you've seen the videos of the thousands of iPhones that are on a stand in certain countries, right? Yeah. That are just click, 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 click. Until you've actually seen that, it's hard to, it's hard. And also, as a side note, I think as a country, again, opinion, Americans are very trusting. We are a very trusting country. And in fact, some of our biggest foreign policy mistakes have come from being very, very trusting of people. And we get taken advantage of as a result of that. We tend to believe the numbers. We tend, to, we tend again, gross generalization, as a cohort, we tend to believe things do you and think not realize the, the depth of which we are being deceived. Do you think we're trusting or do you think we trust certain institutions and mm. people and we assume that those institutions and people are worthy of that trust i think you could make that argument too and i would also by the way say white people are very trusting <laughs> like i would say you know people of color are like mm, i'm not so sure i trust anything but like you know i'm not so sure about that trusting but like yes my aunties don't trust much of anything <laughs> trust but verify um so, but I'm talking, I was the reason I say this, I was, I read a book on the history of the CIA, a really good book, Pulitzer Prize winning book. And uh, they talked about how, how many times the CIA has been penetrated, like how many times we've had double agents bec- and are, because we tend to, as a, we trust people, we just right. And so, and of course, I worked at eBay where, you know, only 0.0001% of cases result in a confirmed case of fraud. Like people are basically good. We tend to sort of, you know, do that. And some, so some of it is ignorance. I think some of that ignorance is deliberate. I think some of it's a blind eye. Some and there's it, been studies on that. Some of it's confirmation bias too, though. So yeah, if you're building something doubt. and you want to, you want to show the stats are going up, 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 and they're really good. And you kind of in the back of your head are like, well, this doesn't match up, but we're going to show it anyways. That looks yes. good. Well, how, why doesn't it result in sales if it's that? And I often that say is people, the thing. 
<laughs> Did Uber need ads? You found out about Uber when somebody said to you, you got to see this. Yeah. Like, here, let me, let me hail an Uber for you. And then you got in and you knew life would never be the same. There wasn't an ad that said, introducing the future of transportation. <laughs> you're, like, you're right. I, I did the not, Uber of Ubers. I didn't see the Uber ads until, I'm not saying that they, th- I didn't have impressions of Uber ads. I didn't pay attention to them until after. I don't think there was probably Uber, Uber ads until there was, uh, there was competition. You can't sell something unless people want to buy it. Mm. And they didn't know they wanted to buy it at first. Someone had to someone had to demonstrate to them that it was it was worthwhile. Changing human behavior is expensive. <laughs> yes. And it takes time. I want to I want to highlight um, I want I want to have you delve a little bit into what you talked about um, with startups in this culture of you don't need a marketer. You just go develop it and then you, you bring them in later to, to sell whatever you create it. Um, and then when they come in, you want them to do that yesterday versus looking at Uber that has been churning through investor money like it's water for years uh but they've been they've been buoyed by the number of writers for some reason they're i get maybe because they're a unicorn they let them keep doing it but um but i i'll i i tend to and gina's laughing at me i tend to start a question and then i opine on how great i think my question exactly is is your question Exactly. So, so my question is, is I'd like for you to delve a little bit deeper in what you said about um, startup culture and how financiers are okay with putting their money behind engineers because they don't believe uh, they need, they need marketers. It's I'll just first I'll start again with an illustrative story. I was the head of marketing and uh, for a Y Combinator startup. And I was the only woman in the company and the oldest person in the company. And I remember the founder saying to me what they had learned at Y Combinator about uh, PR was that you hire a PR person, you take their contacts, and then you fire them. I because that. I was talking about bringing in somebody I knew who was a really good PR person. And I said, if you do that, I quit because the only thing I have in this industry is not an engineer is my reputation. That's right. And if I do that, I'm not going to have a job. So it's in the long run. And, and I was just shocked that that's, I mean, at the time, this was many years ago, I was shocked that they, that, but it's, it's very, I understand how Paul Graham decided to do this back to the Oompa Loompa question. It, that had to change. Engineers needed to be at the table, but it's gone so far. We've had this generations of people have been bullied in school now running or, you know, running things and running them very young. And this is another thing, like, your brain's still developing in your 20s and now somebody hands you a billion dollars. How does that affect who you are and what you believe in the world and how you make decisions? Um, it's, it's, Do you think it's on, predatory? I feel like it's predatory. Do you think I think so? sometimes, I think they, uh, this again, my personal belief, I think a couple of things happen. I think investors invest in young people because they can be manipulated. They yes. can be managed in a way that people who are, have experience cannot. At the mm-hmm. same time, I do think there's a bit of they fall in love with their own potential. I do think that there's a bit of like, you look like me when I was younger. 
And there's a sense of ah, that. I didn't I think, think about like, that. Oh, yeah. Mark Suster and I had a really robust debate because he wrote a post talking about wanting to fall in love with a founder. And I said, as a woman founder, I'm very uncomfortable with that, <laughs> with that very, with that language. Like, mm. because you're saying that what you're falling in love with is people who look like you and act like you and feel like you. And the data shows that, that you're not going to feel that way about a woman statistically. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of bias that goes in there too. And, you know, look at, what is it, Sam Friedman and the whole, you know, I mean, that's a perfect example of, and they get fr- defrauded and then they're shocked that they get defrauded. Like, <laughs> well, you're not doing your due diligence. So, yeah. But I think, you know, so I came into the marketing arena from tech via social media. I was one of the first bloggers at a big storage company. I was running um, a community. I built a community and got hired by Dell to build more communities. And I had this dream that I would bring reality to marketing <laughs> from a technical standpoint. It's really hard to do. It's very, very hard to do. But I also watched, you know, as I came to Dell and the tools to do social media got easier. So it's easier for just run of the mill marketers to be able to use them. I watched the whole promise of social media to be able to connect to the customers and to be able to connect people together, just get completely watered down and pushed to the right side. And I see the very same thing happening with AI and the discussions around AI and the promise of what AI could do if we did it in a very logical, technical (laughs) engineering type fashion. And I wonder if, you know, some of that is intentional as well. You don't want... Uh, um, you don't want a savvy marketer, a product marketer in with a startup because then you bet you, you're not, the engineering team isn't allowed to just kind of run wild because you provide too much structure and we need to do this to sell the product. And we need to think of these things and we could use things like social media. I think, you know, it, it all gets used to, to kind of dumb down the marketing profession and any of the professions of outreach and data and contact and connection that actually would solve all the business problems that everybody's having. It is by design. I'm yeah. sure you've read Corey Doctorow's piece. You have yes. to bleep me again, the education of TikTok, which is exactly I think, a seminal work. Like it should be put, if there was an internet hall of fame for amazing posts that explain how this business works, that should be one of them. And it's it, the whole idea of the carnival and the teddy bears yeah. is has been true for about my entire career. It starts out well, and then it's deliberately, it's it's only that way for a while. You're seeing it with TikTok, right? But it, it's that way with Amazon. It's that way with, with social, with uh, Facebook. It's that way with Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's not ever each. That's why we keep going to a new platform each time. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember when I was online, you know, back in my day, um, <laughs> you know, in, two, in what was it, 2000 or 1995, when anybody with $1,500 and a Packard Bell could get on the Internet. Yep. And things changed dramatically. You know, it, it was really fun to be on the Internet. It and was then crazy. all of a sudden it wasn't. Yeah. It was I can remember being on about that time and being just starting college. And I was a really poor single mother, but I could read a, an article. Yeah, you know, we still had to go and find into the green books and the periodic table of literatures, right? And find them and find them on microfish. I'm from a very small town as well. And um I could find the author of that 
in Germany or England or wherever they was. And I could send them an email and they would talk to me. This poor little girl from this poor little tiny podunk Florida town. That to me was just... That is the power of the internet. That's the power of all of these electronic means to communicate because that is still possible. But yes, the enshittification is a real thing when you add algorithms behind it to drag our minds down one way that we forget, oh, I, I wanted to talk to that really cool person over there. It's, yeah. it's a shame. And we're being hijacked. I, I have ADHD. I'm neurodiverse. I've had it since I was a child. And it is absolutely true that these algorithms and these sites are designed to hijack our mind. It's why one of the reasons I've become a bullet journaler and focused on it is to take a break um, and to give myself space for reflection. As somebody who, who thinks there's nothing more fun than shaming racists on Twitter, um, <laughs> like uh, that's like, but it doesn't get anything done. Yeah. It doesn't solve the problem. And so I find myself sort of pulling back, not in a, and, and I learned recently too, that the Luddites didn't hate technology. Did you know that? Yes, I saw that article too. That's a good. Wasn't it amazing? Yes. Just for the audience, like, it, it, please correct me if I get it wrong, but the idea was they were not opposed to the new technology with the looms, but how it was being used to basically degrade what they got paid to make their working conditions worse. Mm -hmm. And so it was essentially a form of workers union. Yeah. Um, not unlike what's going on or in Hollywood. So it was, right. it, I was fascinated and didn't know that. And I feel sort of akin to that. Like if you love something, you should be able to critique it. And I think tech has not gotten good at listening to that. Anybody who critiques is a hater. I, I'm frustrated with venture capitalists for that reason. Like you're sudden that all, all meaningful sort of critique is lumped into the same. Yes into the same batch. Right. And I think that's the pr biggest problem I see um, right now after the, after the pandemic, especially. So I belong, I, I go to this thing called tech field day as a delegate. Everybody's kind of independent analyst on different tech things. Um, seeing more and more of the independent analyst and the, the community bloggers and community in general is frowned upon in big tech. They don't want to put the dollar, the advertising dollars to that at all. They want it all to be, the people that are going to tell the story exactly how they tell them they to want tell confirmation the story. Bias. They do not want anyone out there speaking as the customers or for their customers. They want it all to be that all that money goes into having this happy, shiny PR based identity. And it sucks. It makes it just awful. And especially when I think about like, you know, how tech sort of got going. I, I've used the analogy of mother and father. So mother, you know, this, this sort of like, the LSD side, right? The hippie, the flower child, the sort of environmental movement side of tech. And then the fathers, of course, the money, the noisy, mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the Intel, Andy Groves, those types of, mm -hmm. of people. And so tech is this, at least, in, again, I'm speaking for Silicon Valley. I've lived here for 20 years. So I acknowledge I, I carry whatever bias comes from living <laughs> from, here. From being in the valley. You, you, you can't live here for this long and not adopt some of it. It doesn't mean it's right or the best. So just that caveat. But I just observe that mother and father fight all the time, mm -hmm. that there is this just constant war. And, and it feels like father's been winning for a long, long time. Like when I got here, engineers were wearing, you know, Hawaiian shirts. And it was, it, it still felt like, and there were all these great, like, you know, gray hair, ponytail guys still out there. Like, oh, yeah. And they taught me so much. I became who I am because... Yeah. Those folks sat down and explained to me how my ideas as a marketer wouldn't work techno technologically or, and why. And they made me stronger and better. And I feel like that conversation is lost. There's Definitely. just, you're wrong. 
And versus, they've become, don't, don't you think the gray hairs have become, in, at least in the Valley, have become the finance arm? And a lot of them just left. They retired. A lot of them. And they just left. The, they're like, look at all the money I have. I got to go. Like, <laughs> you know, or I, or they're, or they're advising, or there's some, any of them are just hacking quietly. They're doing their own thing, okay. you know. Because I wanna, why put up with it? Yeah. I want to take you back to, um, your Luddite comment, and I want to add to two different points of or two different areas that I want you to kind of talk us through is product led growth, in my opinion, is a financial strategy. It's not a marketing strategy. It's presented as marketing. Um, and I think that goes directly to the Luddite comment because that free product has to come from somewhere. Um, and then unlimited revenue growth. This concept that next year you can make more. Next year you can make more than that year. And at some point, the portfolio that you have is is going to reach its its limit and there needs to be some sort of strategy at that point to either maintain or what have you. But there's this thought in these IT companies that well, one day I'm going to be a billion dollar company. One day I'm going to be a $10 billion company. And that's, I, I, I think that's, I personally think that those two elements are as unethical as, as they kind of come. Oh, well, first, if you say product-led growth, I almost can't control myself from rolling my eyes. <laughs> like, I, like I, you're not the first person in the last three weeks. And then I realize I have to stop and slow down because the person that's asking about it genuinely wants my opinion. It's not, it's everywhere. But you know something? Growth hacking was everywhere 10 years ago. Like, it is a construct at, I mean, Andy Johns was talking about product-led growth seven or eight years ago and put out great formulas about it, talked about it. I mean, I here's what I say. There are four Ps in marketing. Product is one of the four P's of marketing. So if you're saying like, oh, maybe we should build a product people like, that's like not news. Like that, <laughs> That's like, you know, like I remember Stephen Colbert said it this way, you know, newsflash, hungry monkey likes bananas. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like not. So I just almost cannot even sit still for any discussion of product-led growth because it's an artificial construct. It's a marketing construct. It may be, you know, it, it's, I often think of the marketing that I do is akin to doing apples in a grocery store. There's no money in apples. And so they don't, it doesn't get any marketing love. You don't see ads on the, you know, a store for apples, but you need to eat an apple. You need to eat them. Right. And marketing is the same way being, it's all about knowing who your customer is deeply, what their problem is, what you're trying to solve, how to talk to them about it and where to talk to them about it. That's it. That's it. Seth Godin put it all in a little book called This is Marketing. It's about this thick. Like it is, it is that simple and everything else is a construct. Now, I forgot the other half of your question after my rant. <laughs> that's, 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 because, okay. that's because she droned on and on and on about it. Just <laughs> ask the question. <laughs> Unlimited revenue growth. Well, that's not how math works. <laughs> I mean, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, you guys are the engineers, right? That's not how math works works like there is no like well they might look at you and say there is such a thing as infinity <laughs> not when it comes to money like <laughs> like and not when it comes to time i mean there's the other thing there's the other gating factor is time and you know yes. time is even more gated than money but even still i worked for companies that went up into the right for years but there's always a steady state 
Yes. There's always a steady state. And in fact, in business school, that's one of the things they teach you, growth, 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 steady state. Those are two different things. And actually, one of our longest term clients with DVD Netflix, who, by the way, you know, pouring out one, shedding a tear, this is their last, you know, week. And they were going to be gone in three years and they stayed for eight because those principles of growth can be de- can be applied to decline as well, which is knowing your customers, where to talk to them. You just got to get smarter and sharper about how you spend because you're not going to spend infinite dollars on something that's, you know, going to go away eventually. So it, to me, it's... Th- to me, it's like you don't know what math is if you think you have infinite growth. Like you don't even understand the law of large numbers. That's not how, <laughs> like the meme says, that's not how any of this works. Like, do you even math, bro? <laughs> do you even math, bro? Like, you're supposed to be the engineers, really? <laughs> so, that said, I think adults, if you will, in the valley, I mean, they still exist. And I think good advice I got years ago from one of my favorite grownups is you find your, your people. And they, they do exist and you work with those people. And I this is where signaling is, is really important. When I see what incubator or what accelerator or what VC is funding a company, after being here for 20 years, I got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen or who it's who's going to be involved or what the culture is going to be like. You mean as far as working for them or whether or not they're going to be successful? And Dreesen Horowitz has got a different way of being than Greylock does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Greylock companies are different from Andreessen Horowitz companies. We could have several glasses of wine and debate what those differences are, but they are different. Do you, and without naming VCs, do you think that their impact, uh, I'm going to say nationally, has been more positive than negative? Or do you think that... I, 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 I have to say that there has been positive, but do you think it's been more positive than negative or do you think it's been more negative? That's tough because I am a finance person and the role of finance, right, is to facilitate the growth of companies. I mean, if I didn't work, if tech didn't exist as it existed with people taking risks, who knows what I would be doing? I'd probably be working, you know, for a retail company, right? I don't think my life would have been anywhere near as exciting for better or worse, <laughs> in in those ways. And as a person who loves tech, I think it's just amazing. I love working in tech. So I think, you know, we have a standard of living still in the United States that it, it you know, exceeds that in many places in the world. It is not perfect. I am not here to in any way say that, you know, we, we, we got it fixed. But when I think about what we have done and when I see as I'm a breast cancer survivor and I see what's coming with AI and how its ability to predict, predict recurrence um, yeah. is coming straight out of these things. It is not a net zero. The woman who put, you saw that she put into chat GPT, her kid had gone to 17 doctors. He had such a rare condition, nobody could find it. Literally in her first session with chat GPT, yes. she got an answer. It was, it. Mm-hmm. so it is, again, I go back to, you know, I mean, Oppenheimer, you know, the atom bomb is probably a strong, a too strong of a hyperbole here, but there is something, you know, we get something for it. The question is, is the cost worth it? Um, what bothers me is that these folks are not regulated the way a publicly com- publicly traded company CEO is. There's only so much a publicly traded company CEO can say. The VC can say anything. If they want to get up there, <coughs> Mark Andreessen, and say, you know, crypto is it. Bitcoin is it. Invest in, invest in that. There's no punishment for them. For leading people down a path that is self-promotional and self-aggrandizing for them. Yes. 
And that part worries me. And, and again, as a finance person who was trained that you have to avoid even the appearance of impropriety, yeah. of going back to marketing ethics, and I have been saying this for years, I would love there for, and my company does it, is audit. We should be able to audit marketing analytics. Nobody goes into Facebook and says, are these things accurate? Mm. Is, Google, is what Google does accurate? They're not held to any standard. Well, people, the way that people ask it, and, people ask it and say it, but they won't tell us. <laughs> no, they won't tell us, and I think they should be. I truly think there should be that Deloitte or whoever should be just as involved with auditing uh, marketing analytics, you know, or marketing mar- the data that comes out of those companies, because it's every incentive to fluff them, as we saw with Facebook and video, when there's no check. Yeah. I, so. I think that's it's even bigger than those companies. I think I you you're onto something that data data audits uh, are should become a thing, uh, whether it's advertising data or you know or supply chain data or uh, but and I think that is one way that people are able to fudge their financials because those other data streams aren't audited. That's correct. Because how can the street audit unique visitors? How can the street audit? How do they do that? Deloitte doesn't audit those things. And you've seen, I think, wasn't there a company recently? They're sued by JP Morgan, right? They bought this company and it was all BS. The, the numbers were wrong. And I was like, where was your due diligence? Where, yes. who went it? Because yeah. half of half of what we do at Fiddlehead very quietly and under the radar is we are inside cleaning up unicorn poop and (laughs) we can, we go inside these giant companies and because I've been here for so long, we're trusted. I don't talk about this in the media, right? I'm not going to go out there and say, Oh, you know, so-and-so's analytics are messed up. Like we go in and we fix them and you just see how bad, like how some of the world's great companies have no clue where their traffic's coming from. Yes. No clue. Or because their engineers believe that if they built it in-house, well, wait a minute. The minute you start buying marketing, you need web analytics. There's no other way. Yeah, Cookies yeah. are all you got. Nope. I absolutely agree with mm-hmm. you. I um you said every time you say something, you change up my my questioning. I wanna I wanna ask your thoughts on you talked about the 17 doctors in the chat GPT. Mm-hmm. When I first heard that story, what came to my mind was the fact that there is so much information out there that is not surfaced because of programmatic advertising, mm-hmm. because of algorithmic bias. You know, how how big do you think the problem is and and do you think it's a problem we can fix? Well, the problem is enormous. I've been saying for years that that I think more than half the accounts on Twitter and Facebook are fake. More than when half? I say, on That's Twitter especially. On Twitter especially, I believe more than half of the accounts to be fake. When I say fake, I don't necessarily mean bot. I think most people don't understand the word bot and they think computer program. I think about disinformation. It just came out in the Washington Post this week, right? That, that you know, we have people outside of the United States that mean us harm and they want to interfere with us for maybe we deserve it maybe we don't it is just a fact right and so that's happening and i think the american people have been misled about the extent of the attacks on americans on u.s soil if you were if you're sitting at home on your computer and you are receiving misinformation or attacks from people outside the u.s how is it any different 
right? From mm-hmm. from an assault, from a foreign assault. And I don't, I don't think, think our different. government I don't think our government has been honest with our with us as a population. And this is not just Joe Biden. It is not just Trump. It stretches back to President Obama. I'm sorry to say that he and he said it, he's even come out and said it was a failure of imagination. It was hard to imagine what was going on. And so as a result, Americans couldn't be aware that the propaganda was everywhere. It is everywhere and all around us. And it, so it is much, much larger than anybody thinks. And just like anything else, if you have bad actors, the whole reason of having laws is if you don't enforce them, then bad actors will flourish. You have to, there has to be some kind of check because it does crowd out the good. How can you run an, on, how can I run an honest marketing business when everyone thinks you can solve that problem with buying programmatic ads? It's very hard. So yes, the problem is very, very large. Can we do something about it? Sure. Like anything, it depends on how much will and how much effort we want to put into it. But first, we have to acknowledge there's a problem. And until our government is honest with us, and I don't mean in a, I, I don't want to sound like a tinfoil hat or in a conspiracy way. I don't, I don't think it is a, I don't think our government's competent enough to be, to, yeah, to I was keep say, a secret. I just not, think it's you don't a, think they're lying. You just don't think they're capable of wrapping their arms around the problem. Right. Right. Or the people in charge don't believe it. Right. You know, back to the space shuttle case, right, where they there's somebody with the information, but they can't be heard for whatever reason. Whatever reason. Yeah. Where the you know. So I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. 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 You guys know. So it's like, I don't know, but something's going on. And at the same time, then you have a financial incentive for a group of people to say whatever they say or to believe even in the in the kindest of way confirmation bias you know? And so I think something can, that's part of the reason I took, when I was asked to do this role with the DA, This it's, we're a tiny organization. We're just web analysts. This has been the sleepiest sort of place to be for like the last 20 years is to be a web analytics person. And now we're really on the forefront. Oh yeah. We're, what we do is really on the cutting edge. And this was my small way of saying, I want to do something. I don't just want to talk about it on Twitter. I don't just want to complain about it. I want to do something. And so we First, we did was survey our members, and we are going to start by creating a baseline of education. Well, what what exists out there? What tools are out there teaching them? How, how do they talk to their managers when they see a problem? Because often the juniors see the problem long before, in this case, this the, the managers do. And how do you do that in a way that, that preserves your career if you feel like you can't blow the whistle? And so, yeah, I wanted to get involved, and I think it's like picking a lane and and trying to do something and doing something is better than doing nothing. And I think very many people get hung up on like, well, let's find the one big, especially in tech, there's got to be an 80-20 Pareto principle must apply here. <laughs> but that's not how any of this works. We have to all pick a lane and start and do something. And maybe over time, you know, it'll help. I, I, I remain optimistic because chat, uh, I learned recently that AI has not beaten. I play bridge. I'm learning to play bridge. And AI has not yet beaten two human beings working together in bridge. Oh wow! And I, that gives me hope that as human beings together, we we can be. I don't say beat, but we can be effective because nothing is as as effective as human beings working together to solve a problem. Well, I want to. We try to do our tech auntie section before we we finish each one. And this conversation has been so lively. Thank you, Melinda, that I think we only have room for for one. And so the tea time that I want to give you is what is the ethical response and who or whom 
has the responsibility to manage or change the behavior. And we had a couple that we talked about. I I, I think that you hit cyber attacks on U.S. soil. Pretty good. So um, let's talk about individual privacy. We mentioned individual privacy, but we didn't go into a lot of detail from the perspective of the individual. So what's the ethical response? What, what, and who has the responsibility to make it? Marketers don't need PII. <laughs> they just don't. I mean, now it's, that's different than your customer data. Communicating with your customers is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about top of funnel, whether it's programmatic or anything else, there is no reason to be messing with PII. At Fiddlehead, we treat it like a virus, meaning you wear gloves, you put on PPE, you try to stay away from it, <laughs> do as little as possible and get rid of it as quickly as possible. When we see it in client web analytics, we stop work and we say, you must go fix this. You're not supposed to be putting PII into Google Analytics. You need to stop and change your code before we will continue because we don't want to be attached to it. So I think it comes down to having a belief and and like anything else, if you want to write a novel, you have to sit down and write. If you want to run a marathon, you got to put in the miles. If you care about privacy, you have to pay attention to it and you have to do something about it when you see it. Mm-hmm. It would. So, so I would say, I agree with you. I would say that most marketers have the struggle of a manager who uh, or executive leadership who has no idea uh, and and they're in a position where they're being forced to. What is your recommendation outside of quitting? Because some people don't have that option. Yeah, I grew up. Poor, I guess. <laughs> what is your recommendation for someone who is is trying to have that conversation with their boss that says, "Look, we don't need this data. Uh, there's a there's a better way to do this." Uh, are there any tools that you would name off the top of your head? Are there any strategies? Well, I think you have to recognize. Well, one, it comes back to two, choosing a job, and I recognize again, not everybody has a choice. It's a difficult time right now. It's hard for people to find work. And th- there have always been people inside of companies trying to get things done, even in difficult circumstances. You look back at, the, remember the guy with at the cigarettes? I, I'm old enough to remember that guy that uh, Russell Crowe played him in a movie. That blew the, the whistleblower? Blew the whistle right inside Reynolds? the cig- Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I would say to young people, you're not the first. You're not the first generation to encounter ethical problems in the companies that you work for. That doesn't mean you have to go put everything on the line like that guy, but you have to be strategic. And to a certain degree, you can only change what you can change and you can drive yourself crazy and stress yourself out over things you cannot control. So if you can't control, it's better to, you know, Sun Tzu said, right? You only fight when you know you can win. Mm -hmm. Be careful and be smart, be cagey, you know, and understand that you are not a bad person for wanting a job and health insurance. Mm -hmm. And those companies' decisions are not yours to make. If they're not yours to make, you are not responsible for them. I think as you go up in your career, if you continue to turn a blind eye, you own the problem. Right. But if you're on the very front lines, be kind to yourself. You only have so much control. And you really do. and, And begin your process. I I think that a lot of times we stay in corporations and we assume that, well, when I get to the next level, I'll fix this. And a lot (laughs) of times that's not possible because it's coming down from the top. Right. And so if you are a junior person and you're finding that there's some ethical issues, 
I agree with you, Melinda. Give yourself some grace. Do your job. But look for someplace else because the odds of you being able to rise up by the time you get high enough to make any changes, you're going to be so filthy, you know, that you're just going to fall in and do the same thing the other people were doing. Maybe it's kind of hard to hard to rise. I agree. Too. It's maybe not, but but it's you might find be... it hard to rise though, right? Yes. If you really have a if you have a fundamental disconnect between your morals. Back to this idea of morals and ethics. If and this is why choosing where you have a choice, where you work, is really important. Yes. And so, if you see evidence of that, try to avoid it. But if if you are in fundamental conflict, if your values are in fundamental conflict with your organizations, you probably won't survive long run one way or another. Maybe one of the things you can do is kind of be a, a, a secret rebel, rebel too while you improve your skills. So if you take the privacy, the PII example, you know, there's ways to approach someone and say, you know, we can get this kind of fine for this. We could do this instead. I already formatted everything. We could try this instead. It really doesn't make a difference. I ran the numbers. So there's ways to take those solutions. And if you, like you say, if you do have those ethical problems, you're not going to last very long. And you shouldn't try to, honestly, because it's if it's that strong, you're going to kill yourself in the, in, yes. you know, you will destroy yourself in the meantime. And if you do that to who you are as a person, it will impact you physically. So it's it's better to try to find a very positive, way to try to bring change in that you know you do do it on the up and up and on the on the uh, different level than you might have to express yourself as a very junior person but you also learn how to do that you learn what happens when you get kicked back from it you learn how to make the presentations and how to make the numbers work in a different way well melinda i'm we, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I so appreciate you uh, coming on with us. I wanted to give you a few minutes before we uh, leave to tell people how to connect with you, uh, your your data um, association. It was a lot of letters, and I I didn't I wasn't writing them fast enough. So um, if if people can get engaged there, so uh, we'll give you a few minutes to to do that. If you uh, work in web analytics of any kind, this can also be BI, it doesn't have to be pure GA, please check out the Digital Analytics Association. Uh, we're, we've been around for a long time. In fact, we have a conference coming up in Chicago uh, in October 10th through 12th. Um, it is it is your people. If you are, if you often feel like you're alone in the web analytics world, even though I'm more now in the marketing and leadership side, I still love to go because I feel like these are my people. Um, very creative, very analytic people. We, we solve problems for a living, all of us. And so it's it's fun to work with, on data and privacy, data privacy and ethics issues with other analytics people, because yes. we all bring that left and right brain to bear. So please, please visit. Um, I started a Substack to learn out loud about AI. So if you're an engineer and you want to have a good laugh at a marketer learning how to figure it out, uh, I have a Substack. You can, it's just, uh, it's called uh, Let's Get Real, because I really wanted to bring a practical sort of, you know, take some of the puff out of this. And uh, you can also visit fiddleheadhq.com slash aunties, and I'll have some special uh, content for your for your listeners uh, about this podcast. And I'll put some links there as well. I know they'll go to your website as well. And I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm consolidating most of my social media in that professional forum. I think it's the right place to be. Uh, I have my concerns about X like everybody else. So I think I want to stay on, I'm going to be focused on LinkedIn f- uh, for the time being. 
Awesome. We will make sure those links are in uh, the show notes. And we just, again, want to say thank you so much for joining us. This was a great conversation. Thanks for letting the marketer come talk to the engineers. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us today on the Tech Aunties podcast. If you have a topic you would like us to cover, please connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also find this episode and others at techaunties.com. Until next time, y'all be sweet.